in the course of your lifetime, there are a few moments which uh, are the so-called flashbulb memories or flashbulb moments. Some of those would be more positive flashbulb moments, uh, remembering your first time really falling in love. Others would be when something terrible happens, like a tragedy on a more personal level or on a larger national or international scale. And uh, the interesting thing uh, is that afterwards you're almost certain to remember details of where you were and when you got the news or experienced it. It's like your memory is intensified somehow. Like with the 9-11 or when Kennedy was shot. Yeah, mean? for those who remember when Kennedy was shot. But 9-11, that's interesting. I remember it really well. Uh, it was just a week after our oldest daughter was born. And I was sitting in our living room holding her in my arms uh, as I was watching the news. And it literally felt like, uh, and I can remember the sounds, the smells, uh, the feeling of all of that. Uh, I remember thinking, is this uh, World War Three or whatever it is? But also, if I look back to my uh, childhood or early adolescence, I remember two other incidents pretty well. On March 1st, 1986, I was on a skiing holiday with my parents and the rest of the family in the Norwegian mountains. And uh, the kids, uh, we w woke up a bit earlier and we put on the radio. Well, this was a long time ago. You might even listen, uh, remember listening to the radio. And uh, suddenly it was announced that the night before or just after midnight, uh, the night before, the Swedish Prime Minister, Olof Palme, had been shot and murdered on February 28th, just before midnight, after coming home from the movies. Do you remember that? Yes, I, th I think it was a Saturday, wasn't it? Yeah, it could be. Yeah, it was a. I, I remember the Saturday feeling of that day. Yeah, it should be it because it was the beginning of a, a winter holiday, I think, in yes. uh, in the western part of Norway. Uh, so this um, fourth podcast of the series, uh, the four speeches every leader has to know, will deal with what what do you say? How do you address? Uh, how do you speak? Uh, when a large-scale uh, tragedy strikes or when there is suffering that you have to address as a leader, how do you speak credibly about suffering? When a worker passes away, we have to deliver a memorial address, a sort of eulogy, that is. So in this podcast, we'll analyze and discuss uh, the what we call the, the consolation speech, a genre where the leader has to speak in the face of tragedy and loss. Uh, I'm Bård Nordheim. And I'm Juahaga. So the other... Uh, Incident, uh, the flashbulb memory sort of thing, uh, tragic incident, I remember it all too well as well, happened just a month earlier, a month before the Palmer murder. Uh, on January 28th in 1986, uh, President of the United States, Ronald Reagan, addressed the, nations, the nation because earlier that day the space shuttle Challenger had exploded in the air. And uh, we will listen to how uh, President Reagan's uh, Consolation, or how he, he tries to console the nation or address the nation. But before we listen to the actual speech, you are, uh, we've talked about the importance of, of naming, naming yourself, naming reality, naming who we are, naming the course. And these four modes, we claim, are key in structuring communication and building up speeches. So um, how do you think these four modes should be used in a, in a consolation speech? And maybe let's start with naming yourself. How do you do that in a consolation speech? We'll listen to Reagan just in a moment, but um. yes, I think I think the um, um, 
the challenge is to tell a convincing story. So you're basically a storyteller, I think, in when, when you're s- trying to console. You don't have... You, people have not invested formal powers in you as a consolation um, speaker. Expert or... Yeah. yeah. So I, I think... Uh, you speak on behalf of someone, in a sense. Yes, and, and I think you, you also establish yourself yourself as as um as a subject is very important in in the in the consolation speech speech you have to be to appear credible and and in a sort of certain sense find the right position is that in yes perhaps and and also to to really to to be um in grief and yeah. and, and to to show Signal that, that you're, you're in in sync with what's going on. In yes. Sense. Yeah. So let's listen to what uh, Ronald Reagan does as he uh, addresses the nation. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd plan to speak to you tonight to report on the State of the Union. But the events of earlier today have led me to change those plans. Today is a day for mourning and remembrance. Nancy and I are pained to the core by the tragedy of the shuttle challenger. We know we share this pain with all of the people of our country. This is truly a national loss. So, um, he was supposed to speak to the nation, anyhow, on the State of the Union, but he had to change the plans. And he says this is a day for mourning and remembering. And he also says, which I find really interesting, Nancy and I using the first name of the first lady or the uh, a pain to the core by the tragedy. What does that signal? How is that a way to name yourself? Yes, he's, he's not only um, uh, the leader of the free, free country, so to speak, in the, in the Western world, but he's a, he's a family man as well. Mm. And he is um, sort of bringing uh, grief and and the loss and, and the pain into the family. And so by including his wife, mm-hmm. I think he's, he's um, addressing how deeply affected he is in his personal life. And so he's not just sitting there in... in On in, top of Capitol Hill. So yes, yeah. uh, in, alone and, and just uh, expressing some formal... Um, greetings to a, a nation in grief but he is he is trying to convince them that uh, the loss has affected him uh, deeply yeah, also on a personal level yeah and particularly this um, there could be many ways of doing that uh, you, if we listen more carefully we'll hear that he's uh, he's speaking with a he's pretty he's slowly uh, he's uh, perhaps lowering his voice in a sense, uh, uh, his uh, uh, his face or the way his expressions are not very dramatic. He's holding back, but at the same time being present. One could say if you try to read the, uh, uh, the way he plays that out. Um, yes, he, he, I think um, at moments, in moments as, uh, as these, his skills as um, a Hollywood actor is also play. It comes out, and it's, he has full um, presence in in the picture. And his 
he's sort of drawing the spectators to him uh, because he's he's charging himself uh, w- with this holding back. So it's a very forceful and very effective uh, moment of of communication, I would say. Yeah, and he goes on to uh, describe the event uh, very uh, a bit from the distance. He describes it as a tragedy, a terrible accident. But then he moves on to describe the seven, the Challenger Seven, as he describes them, as heroes. Uh, they were aware of the dangers, but they overcame them and did their jobs brilliantly. Uh, they had courage, he says. Uh, and then he he says, we mourn seven heroes. And he mentioned the names, Michael Smith, Dick Scobie, and Judith Resnick, and so on. Uh, so just by na- mentioning these names very powerfully, slowly, is also a way to position yourself, isn't it? Yes, he, and, and he is also... Um, the the way that he's moving his his um, his voice and his gestures and they are well there's there's always this with the president of the United States that he's very confident in in, in and, and slow moving but but here it has a an extra pitch I think it it is um, also his qualities as an as an actor plays out. And, it, and of course, he's uh, he's prepared in a sense. As this is a it just it happened that day, but it's a well prepared speech, and he's prepared. He's probably read it several times. He's uh, he's prepared for adding presence in a sense. Yes, he he's not just reading a a script. No, no. So let's let's listen now to the next sort of um, which could be seen as an example of naming reality. How he now. Uh, uh, goes on after naming um, uh, the seven heroes. Together. The families of the seven, we cannot bear, as you do, the full impact of this tragedy. But we feel the loss, and we're thinking about you so very much. Your loved ones were daring and brave, and they had that special grace, that special spirit that says, give me a challenge, and I'll meet it with joy. They had a hunger to explore the universe and discover its truths. They wished to serve, and they did. They served all of us. So the reality that um, Ronald Reagan, as a president here, is describing goes beyond merely describing what happened in the accident. He actually doesn't really say much about that. Mm. Uh, It's not like uh, telling the details of a car accident. But he puts this in a larger framework of describing a reality of not not just, in some sense, mankind's interest in freedom and exploring the universe and the particular role that America holds in that pursuit. Or Yes, he sees them as um, instrumental to America's cause of, of uh, expanding into the to the to the outer space and the um i think when when he is when he is leaving out the details of the explosion and and the horrible uh, the horrible uh, um pictures that people have seen on television and so forth uh he is actually trying to to convey a, a different message namely that they are their sacrifice 
um, is a, a part of a larger story. So it's not meaningless in a in a profound sense. And this is the um, and, and it's there, and they serve a larger purpose. He, he goes on after the quote we just heard. He says, "We've grown used to wonders in this century," and he describes the space program uh, and how that is just in, in in his mind beyond barriers. It's it's humankind just uh, self realization of uh, a larger human we, so so, so to say, and uh, yeah, yeah, and. Uh, and I think it is also one has uh, to bear in mind that uh, the space pro- program in the 1980s is not undisputed. It's uh, it's a heavily uh, disputed program, and actually, after the the um, the uh, moon landing in the late 60s, they they hadn't uh, achieved much, and and this spaceship. Uh, uh, idea was a complete failure from day one, and it is also, I think, the, when he speaks about the loss, one one should be aware that this is a, um, a, a political um, a moment as well. But he is he is so he's he's trying to to weaken the 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 distractive points of that program. Mm-hmm. And he sees that as part of the, the, the nation's story. But that's a risky uh, enterprise, isn't it? Uh, he goes on to describe, uh, describe it's all part of taking a chance and expanding ma- man's horizons. Uh, the future doesn't belong to the faint-hearted, it belongs to the brave. Uh, the challenger crew was pulling us into the future and we'll continue to follow them. So, I mean, this is really grand stuff. Uh, and, and in our book we we write about the memorial speech given by a uh, Norwegian uh, leader of the Norwegian energy or s- s- gas and oil company, Statoil, Helge Lund, after a terror attack in the Algerian desert to a gas plant or to um, in, in Amenas. And if we compare these two speeches, uh, I mean, we saw with the Helge Lund speech that he, he doesn't draw on the core values of Statoil. He doesn't say that being brave, which is a value of Statoil, he doesn't sort of make them heroes of that value, the five people who died in the Algerian desert. Whereas Ronald Reagan does the opposite. Yes, but, but it's um, the question of meaning or, or, or the, the, cre- the question of framing uh, loss and tragedy into a to greater story it's a very um, debated uh, thing to do, uh, and <clears throat> both both um, uh, approaches. The one that is only trying to comfort the families and and to to sort of isolate the loss from the greater story, like Helge Lund, le- like Helge Lund did, and this uh, attempt to include the loss in the the, the greater nation story, um, serve. Um, both of them serve different purposes because what Reagan is preparing is at the memorial fu- funeral and the, that they will be buried uh, with um, a great um, with great pomp and circumstance and they will be celebrated as heroes so th- the loss of the families will be written into the history of the nation, so to speak. 
Yeah, and it's a cultural difference here as well, isn't it? Uh, yes, yeah, sort of, of course. A, uh, a company uh, and, a, and a nation is one thing, and there's a difference between America and Norway as well. So, uh, and I guess it also um, makes us think about the different interpretations of pain and suffering. So is this, can this suffering be interpreted as something meaningful and on what grounds and how do those of us who are not directly uh, affected by it how do we address that suffering uh, do we think of well there are in 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 our tradition there are different approaches aren't there yes uh, <clears throat> but the the, uh, the i think the fundamental difference is um that the the lack of of meaning uh is not is is not a, a lack of meaning after all if you look closely because the the stories that surround the loss will always be there so people will look elsewhere if it the the the, the particular thing with with Reagan's address is that he's addressing this meaning directly mm-hmm. so he's he's tapping into this the story of United States and 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 the the tremendous success History and he, he actually in the post-war uh, post-war world. He actually says that there is a coincidence today. On this day, three hundred ninety years ago, uh, ago, the great explorer Sir Francis D- uh, Drake died aboard ship off the coast of Panama. And so there's a comparison here bet- uh, between the Challenger Seven and earlier sort of explorers. Yes, and and Francis Drake was the the favorite of of Queen Elizabeth, and. Um, and I think the um, I think the the comparison is also important because it's a, it's a, it taps into the the discovery of mankind. So it's a it's a larger step actually than than merely serving the nation. Yeah, it's beyond people, America. Yes, yeah. it's beyond. It's it's humanity. Yeah. And this is the uh, I think the the the, the great uh, thing about attempting to to do this um, uh, inclusion of these people's loss into a very large and grand narrative. Exactly. Uh, So um, how can you, uh, as a speaker, uh, how can different interpretations of suffering, how can you use them when you're a leader and you have to address this? Let's say it's not necessarily a large-scale tragedy, but uh, you're speaking at the memorial of a worker who passed away. Uh, yes again uh, I think um, we are not all uh, all leaders are not leader of, of the of a nation of, a nation, of, of the greatest na- nation in the free west as it were in the 80s mm. but the but we are uh, I think we all face if we are to 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 uh, consolate other workers as leaders we all face the problem um could we tap into a story that would sort of uh, make the the loss perhaps not meaningful in, in a profound sense, but so, so somehow tap let let it tap into a, a greater story that we were grateful, for example, for this worker's yeah. days at the factory, or a yeah. So, so in the sense that that's consolation speech, um, or as a memorial speech, it is. Uh, direct to the present because you have to sort of capture the feeling of the moment 
And genre-wise, it's what is in rhetoric called an epideictic speech. So it's a praise speech. Yes, it is. It's a eulogy. It's a eulogy. So, so how, how can you build up a eulogy uh, when you praise a, a person? I mean, formally, uh, praising someone who's celebrating their 50th birthday is actually the same thing you're doing uh, in, in a consolation speech, in a way. So how, how can you do it? Well, the, uh, what Helge Lund did in, in, in the speech that you referred to mm. was to, to praise the qualities of the men. And actually, Ronald Reagan is doing that as well. <clears throat> He's saying that they, they were brave mm. um, and that the, the courage of uh, embarking on such a, a, a great um, jur- journey is, 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 a, is, is a, a sign of bravery. And um, it is also possible to to include the um, the virtues of, of of those who have passed away, or those who are sick, or those who are uh, to 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 uh, to include them in the in the narrative of the, the com- company, company. Co- company or the school or whatever it is. But usually, if if you're a pastor or a priest doing a memorial speech in a in a funeral you would start with something else you'd start with they were born at that particular day and then so there's a sort of uh, and you end with the virtues but you start with a more I wouldn't say prosaic but the, but the sort of the qualities of you were born somewhere in a, in a particular city you had this and this education so in some sense starting too early with the virtues you, you have to there's a you rise the suspense here. You rise the expectancy of uh, the level, in a sense. Yeah. yeah, by by just referring to biographical details, you mean exactly. Uh, yes, and and the uh, and these um, uh, there's an there's an old t- trick you can you can also consider mm-hmm. to to if you want to uh, consolate, and that is where you are, the place where you are born, uh, could also be seen as a as a place. With a symbol, as a symbol, yes, and 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 uh, and a place where certain qualities or certain virtues are particularly uh, well um, uh, uh, nourished, or or even even if, if it's a if it's a sign of people coming from this place, it's a very po- powerful thing to say. Uh, the brave people of of the northern parts of Norway, for example, they are. Or, or, or they stand in a in a proud line of fishermen from that particular village or whatever. So uh, Ronald Reagan does a bit of the same. Uh, he, he speaks about how uh, in the very end of his speech, uh, we we'll listen to that. How the crew of the space shuttle honored us. The crew of the space shuttle Challenger honored us for the manner in which they lived their lives. We will never forget them, nor the last time we saw them this morning as they prepared for their journey and waved goodbye and slipped the surly bonds of earth to touch the face of God. Thank you. So, um, well, there are many things we could say about this, but what does he do here towards the end? Well, the, um, as, as, as the, the, the leader of, of God's, God's country. Uh, yes. He has he has the, the ability 
because it taps into the the um, the uh, religious um, what you would say um, the the the, um, the sphere. There's there's a certain uh, um, element in in uh, American politics where you can actually say something like to touch the face of God. It's so this grand. Is, yeah. Yes, and that's I think it's um, it's a it, this kind of religion is not the 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 heartfelt European way of being personally committed or something. It belongs to politics, and it's and it's um, so you have to calibrate also your the way you. Uh, console and the, the language you use in a sense yes because if if if, if um in, in a very secularized country as mm. norway or sweden or something if you say something like that you would be uh regard um looked upon as as um strange in some sense yes and yeah. and 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 that point to to leave the surly bonds of earth to touch the face of god yeah. that is in in the secularized Europe, um, an expression of a personal felt conviction, but that is not what what uh, what that's the, not what he has in mind. Re- Reagan is doing. He's referring to a common thing. Exactly. Yeah. So, well, to sum it up, uh, the, the civil religion thing in 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 the USA is a pool where you can. You, you can, can actually draw from, and you can and you can you can you can use the metaphors. Uh, in a different way that you can in Sweden or Norway or Latvia or wherever. So uh, when you deliver a um, consolation speech, uh, a few things to think about. Uh, the key, th- One key thing is to name the reality of suffering in a credible way that it's recognizable to those who are affected. Secondly, uh, try to show compassion, but find it. try to do it in an appropriate manner and measure. Position yourself, thirdly, uh, with the mourners and take your mandate from those in grief. And you could carefully listen to whether the consolation speech could be a way to retell what we call the legacy of the organization. It's okay to appeal to the feelings of the audience, but try to do it in a subtle manner, which is sensitive to the culture and the situation. And as we already talked about, speak slowly, um, but do it firmly. So... um, that's all for now uh, about the consolation speech. Um, we do hope that you don't have to give too many consolation speeches in your career as a leader, but uh, when they come, all the best uh, in uh, addressing suffering in that particular occasion.